Hello, welcome to the Scottish Football Show. Coming up, referees. Aye, that lot, they always get in the way. St Mirren, two wins from two and into the top half of the table. It's early doors, but screw it, they're going to Europe. We're going to talk to assistant manager Dermot O'Carroll. And it's crunch week in Europe for Rangers and Hearts. They've got one game each to see if they're going to end up in the Europa League, the Champions League, the Conference League. In Europe, some way, shape or form, let's wish them well. Yes, hello, I am your host Andrew Slavin and isn't it great to have my dulcet tones back on the show. Screw you Grant, I'm not having you back on here ever again. No more food poisoning for me, I have got an iron stomach and I will stay so. Joining me, Laura Brannan uh, of West Ham United. Welcome back Laura, I will have you back on the show. Hey, welcome back was my line, I was going to say that to you. (laughs) (laughs) We're very happy to have you back. I've been nowhere, my stomach's been absolutely yeah, I, sh- I should calm down a little bit. Grant did a good job last week. My seat is uh, on a sugly nail, should we say. <laughs> Finlay Marks, filmmaker and editor and good round bloke. Hello, Finn. Hello. <laughs> if you could see what I look like in real life, good round bloke is probably uh, a fairly accurate way of describing my physique, which is very similar to a burst couch. So. <laughs> and also off record, I hear you've got some Eric Ten Hag about yourself. <laughs> I do. This isn't a great bit of chat for a podcast, but yeah, I was working at an Australia Cup match last week and there were a couple of young fans that were constantly shouting over, Oi, Ten Hag, Ten Hag, are you going to save Man United? So that that was fun. I, I, I think you can have worse celebrity doppelgangers than that. Anything that caught your eye from the weekend uh, before we absolutely destroy referees in our game? <laughs> well, not so not so much something that caught my eye, something that didn't catch my eye. Did anybody else see the view that Falkirk fans had at the Edinburgh game? <laughs> yes, yes. What, what Edinburgh game? There was a game <laughs> happening there? They were literally in a different postcode from the rest of the match. It's like one of those uh, unique angles that football clubs send out. They always go like, look at this unique angle. It's, like, it's not that unique angle. You see it every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, you got anything? Um, yeah, did you see there was a dog in the away end at the Partick Thistle game on Friday night? Oh, <laughs> just, you. just some, some random you. person holding a dog on their lap, you know, and not even like a small dog, not like a wee lap dog, like a, like a proper good medium-sized dog. <laughs> that is my kind of, like, at Partick Thistle, if you're letting dogs in to games now just to watch the football, I'm all for that. You, you've won me over. I, I'll be there and I will get a dog so I can go to your games. The, the English National League used to do a non-league dog of the week. Uh, not too long ago I don't know if they still do but, very, um, very good Instagram account to follow Just random dogs watching football games Fit by dogs That'll be my next <laughs> podcast <laughs> Anyway, we should uh, get stuck into the weekend roundup Ewan's back on his feet Shabriya returns it Here's Campbell Easter 
Yeah, let's get stuck into what happened at the weekend because safe to say everyone's talking about it. But I'll start with to say 12 goals, but six red cards in the Premiership. Yeah. Plenty of controversial refereeing decisions. And it all started at Hibernian. 2-2 that ended against Rangers, but it was marred by refereeing decisions. The goals were good, to be fair. Let's talk about them first. What do you think? Firstly, Tom Warren's goal. Bloody hell. What an attack this was. <laughs> Absolutely. Down the left... Barisic's cross into the box was delicious. Lovely, lovely finish. Would have been the goal of the game. But then Josh Campbell, in in Soppy's time, what an equaliser. Fantastic. What a strike. And it's just a shame that such a beautiful moment has been completely overshadowed by all the refereeing decisions. Yeah, I think I think if we focus really on the red cards, I know there were other incidents in this game, but we need a much longer podcast if we're going to be going through each and individual one. I think we're all, as well as everyone in Scottish football, in agreement that the John Lundstrom one is utter bananas. Just bizarre. Yeah, Finn, you, you, can, you can fire in on this one. Obviously, we're not qualified referees. Most of us watching football aren't. But we watch so much football that we are pretty good, even watching our own teams, of trying to be as unbiased as possible and trying to call a decision as well as we can. But I just, I, I, I can't see any rationale in that ever being anything more than a yellow card. We see that felt every single match. We even saw we it earlier saw it in, in that match. You <laughs> and Henderson did the exact same thing in the first half and got a yellow card for it. And I think that's the most galling thing, you know, not just if you're a Rangers fan watching this game, but in so many of the games across Scottish football, it's really disappointing because, you know, ourselves as a podcast, we try to make a conscious decision not to have to talk about officiating and and things that referees or, or lines people do during the games we try really hard not to do that but when it's not actually being acted out according to the laws of the game and even us as i was saying earlier is people that that aren't qualified referees like we we know these rules intimately i just i can't see any reason how that can't not be a yellow card and the thing is they'll appeal it rangers will appeal it and it'll get overturned and fairly confident of that but the damages are already been done yeah i understand what you're saying finn i mean a few things that i would say is that yeah we have the benefit of the doubt of of cameras and the angles and when you're in the referee's position it is a lot harder now the only sort of justification i can give is the positioning of of willie Collum. now i don't think that he's in the in a wrong position again, like you said, I'm not a qualified referee, but the difference between you and Henderson's, which was before the Lundstrom incident, uh, which makes it harder for for I suppose, particularly Rangers fans to to digest, is the that Lundstrom's leg is quite high, so Colum's angle he might think that there's more of an egregious intent to. No, I disagree with this, but I'm just trying to get into Willie Collum's head, which is a difficult thing to do. I That's just a think dangerous that, thing that, to try and that, do. <laughs> that, 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 it's, a, it's a high leg. No, it's not. It's not an aggressive tackle in any way, and it's not a red card. But this is, this is where it's a wonderful advert for VAR. Yeah. And it, we should have this, and that would have completely ruled out the situation. Collum would have given the red card, 
the, the referee, whatever they may be in Hamden or whatever it is, they would have been in Willie Collins' ear and said, you need to look at this again. We don't think it's a red card. Just to be point, I don't think it was Henderson that was um, the, the failure comparing it to. It was Jake Doyle Hayes. Ah, you're right, Laura. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Ewan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in all fairness to Jake Doyle Hayes, that also wasn't a red card. And I think his booking was the only thing that Willie Collum actually got right in this game. Um, you can break it up into all sorts. Like, I, I mean, personally speaking, going through them, I, I don't think... Um, I think Hibbs should have got a penalty. I don't think Rangers' penalty was, in fact, a penalty. Don't really? Think Rangers, yep, I don't think Rangers should have got two red cards. That's I, interesting. There's just so much that went wrong when it comes to the referee in this game. Finn, let's take us back to the Morelos red card in this incident as well. Because, okay, down to nine men, still a point, you know, still a point, nine men. Talk to us about this this decision uh, and what you make of it. Just before I go into the Morelos one, I just want to take it one step back again just to what we were talking about because I think you made a really good point, Andrew, of, of trying to understand Colm's reasoning. And I agree with you. I don't, I don't think it's anything to do with his position. I think his position's fine. I, I don't think Lundstrom's foot is necessarily high I really don't I think you can get the freeze frame of where it is or whatever you know everybody loves to get these freeze frames and tackles and try and watch them out of context I think in a much broader thing I don't just want to talk about the the Lundstrom incident or or the other ones that we're just about to come on to but in I, I will always try and give the benefit of the doubt to the referee because until we get VAR, they can only judge it in real time. So I always try and judge the incident on what did it look in real time. And I think one of the issues with VAR, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, is this, it goes into the minutiae of things. So it's like, did he get any contact? Did he get any contact? Yes, he did. Well, it's a red card then. And I just think um, that immediacy of the situation is something definitely to consider. And of course, referees are human beings. We We say this all the time. They're going to make mistakes. But I think one of the other things in this part of being human, good referees are the ones that aren't affected by outside noise. Mm. And I don't just mean from the stands. I think the thing that really pushed Willie Collum to get out his red card so quickly was the reaction from the Hibs players. So you had Porteous and Cadden screaming over, running over, and Martin Boyle, I think, makes the most of the challenge. It's not unfair to say. And I think all of those things combined, a strong referee looks at the tackle objectively and goes, by the laws, that's a yellow card. I don't care what anybody else says round about me. I don't think Willie Collum, and it's not just Collum, I think a lot of the referees in our league are at the whim of reactions a lot of the time. I think the other big thing is that they guess decisions. I, when they don't actually know, they'll guess either way. And again, it's just, it's it's poor officiating. I think that's where the problems come from. There's always going to be bias. There's always going to be conjecture. Mm-hmm, Do I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. Scottish referees have it in for one side more than another? No. Do I think they're not really good enough to be doing the job that they're doing at this level? Probably. Again, it's not just this. We'll go into the other games as well, but there was the the yellow card, should it have been a yellow card, red card in the the Ross County match. Mm -hmm. I think every day of the week, if you're neutral watching that tackle that Ross Callaghan puts in, you're like, that's a red card. How's that not a red card? Mm -hmm. And even in real time, we're able to make these calls as fans. I think that's the baffling thing and where it's it's really difficult. Just to go very quickly onto the Morelos thing, I, I just don't know what he's doing. Like, it is... 
in Scottish football, a lot of the time you do get, and I'm not trying to condone what Morelis is doing or anything, it's completely stupid. And I think Tavernier even called it out on Rangers TV. Yeah. As soon as you raise your hands, you're giving the referee a decision to make. And it's just, it's daft when your team's already down to 10 men. But there's so much to unpack there and in every game. But I think in terms of the overall performance, it was just egregiously poor, a lot of the decision-making. And and it ended up changing the result and affecting it in a way that I don't think it would have done if if he'd made the right calls. It's worth mentioning that um, Hibs have also put in a request to the SPFL to look at that performance for Willie Collum as well. The, the, The biggest issue, and we've mentioned it before on the show, is just not having full-time referees. So you get what you pay for, in essence. And yet, you know, some of our referees are still regarded very highly in FIFA and and at UEFA European level. So, you know, like you said, it's not going to be easy for any team. And sometimes it is a little bit swings and roundabouts. But um, we have to talk about some of the other games. (laughs) Because, uh, Laura, it was was another good weekend for, for Motherwell. Another red card in this game for Dylan Bahambula. Uh, two yellow cards in three minutes. It was his Prem debut as well. Like, absolute stinker for him. But um, Kevin Van Veen, Laura, seems to be doing the business yet again for Motherwell. And Stevie Hamill is getting a good ride of his uh, early managerial career. It's, it's, it's great for Stephen Hamill. He's he's having an impact, isn't he? Another, another win for him. To be fair... A lucky win would argue that the penalty was not a penalty. Um, yeah. Another referee decision, but it looked like so the ball comes in um, to Montano, who is essentially on the the edge of the box at the byline, um, quite near the post, and the referees deemed the ball to have hit off his hand, um, but it, it comes off his chest. That's right. So it's not a penalty. Um, I, I guess you could argue swings and roundabouts because. Um, Sonji Solholm was bundled down in the box in another incident, which went unpunished. So, right, okay, you could argue these things come around. And as you're saying, Kevin Van Veen as well, he's he's picked up really himself last season and he he was the first to admit himself last season that some injuries hampered him, um, mm-hmm. some suspensions as well, and he didn't quite get the run that he personally wanted. I think from a, a fan perspective, he did very well, um, but he wanted to do even better. And a goal scorer last season as well. He wants to improve on that more, and he feels that with a, a better run, he will get even more goals this season. Uh, Ross County, uh, three points for them at last. A team I think of who have played quite well despite not picking up um, as many points. But yeah, Kilmarnock, the visitors, losing one 0 there, and Owura Edwards finally getting a goal. Oddly after Ross Callaghan's uh, sending off, which was a second yellow. You said, Finn, it was definitely like a straight red, like second yellow, um, which is weird. But um, weirdly in this fixture, Kilmarnock haven't won in Dingwall in five trips. Um, definitely not a place they like to go to. And rounding up quickly, I just want to go to Aberdeen St Johnston because Leighton Clarkson's free kick. <laughs> it's his second in three games. He's 18 years old, on loan from Liverpool. I, I mean, this guy's like, uh, I don't know, like, I, I've not seen enough of him uh, live, but he certainly can impact games. My goodness, what a strike this is. One thing I will say, and Laura is going to probably agree with me with this, is. Calls for goal of the season, I am not having. 
But Finn, you enjoy this one? Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, w- I wouldn't say it's a contender for goal of the season. I don't think it would even win goal of the month, quite frankly. I think Jota's probably got those sewn up for his <laughs> his uh, long-range strikes. I do think it's a beautiful goal, though. And I've been really impressed. It, it's all to do with um, it's it's his movement, I think. like When you watch the way... There was a chance that he had before the free kick mm. where I think he ended up... Um, screwing a shot just kind of wide of the post but there was like this beautiful just little drop of the shoulder to the left and then he cuts in inside on the right and it kind of sent two St Johnson players the wrong way he's he's a really good player to watch and I think it's interesting in those kind of games because you know that McDermott Park can one, be one of those grounds that it's difficult to go to they, they can make the game really stuffy and if, if this had been last season, it probably would have been nil-nil. Mm. But it's that little bit of quality, that little bit of um, magic that was the difference between the sides uh, at the weekend. And I, I think he'll be really good. Laura, you're not a fan of goals from free kicks. Absolutely not. I will argue this to my dying day, that a free kick, as impressive as a free kick is, they're all impressive free kicks. And it, to me, a set piece is a bit like saying a penalty should be in goal of the season. The, the, the player is stepping up to do one thing and it's to convert that goal into the back of the net. And he does it. That's not a goal of the season for me. Are you not being a little bit unfair to the skill asset of it all? Look, there's, there's completely skill involved. I'm absolutely not dismissing that in the slightest. It looks like an extremely difficult thing to do. One of probably the hardest things you could do in a football pitch. But to me... A goal of the season, a goal of the month, whatever, an award should be a bit more. It's more about the build-up, it's more about the individual flair coming from nothing. It's, it's that element of you have built up to it and not you've been laid on a plate. But I'd argue, you said it yourself, it's one of, if it's one of the hardest things to do in the pitch. You know, everyone's set up, you've set up your defence, the, the best way that you can defend against the free kick, and there's only one person that can do get all the physics and the ratios correct all in one moment uh, to beat all of those odds and it goes in like that, why is that any better than a... And look, I'm not kind of disagreeing with you. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate to a point. But, you know, how is that not up there with, say, a team goal um, where you've darted in between two or three players, passed the ball and then sunk it in bottom corner or top right? You know, it's still it's still got to be considered, right? No, unless you're, <laughs> unless you're Lee Griffiths scoring a second one at Hamden. <laughs> no, you're just doing your job. Oh, um, so yes, you've it is impressive. Yes, it is breathtaking and it'll make everyone be like, whoa, holy shit. But no, nah, you're just doing your job, mate. Just to cut in, from a statistical point of view, it's not the same as a penalty. The, the XG from a penalty on average is about 0.76. So that's that's incredibly high because one's basically an open goal from mm-hmm. on the line. So that's pretty high. The average XG from a direct free kick is 0.06. Whoa. So that means on average, a direct free kick has a 6% probability of being scored. That means one out of every 17 attempts, roughly on average. But Obviously, there are different factors. There are things like distance, the who's who's hitting the free kick, who's in goal, how big the wall is. All of these different kind of things can factor it. But roughly, there's a six percent chance of scoring a direct free kick. So it, it's an incredibly niche skill. I mean, I'll always be a fan of a goal scored from a free kick because I just think it's one of the most difficult things you can do. And I think growing up 
during the 90s, we had so many iconic free kick takers, Roberto Carlos, oh. David Beckham, George Alberts. So <laughs> it's, um, I'll always be a big fan of a well-taken free kick. Um, special mention, as we're still in the Aberdeen game, special mention for Johnny Hayes, who made his 300th appearance for the club. Oh. He would have had more if he stayed longer, but he went to Celtic for a while. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that turned out not too bad for him. Yeah, to be fair, you can't you can't begrudge him that. But um, speaking of Celtic, more red cards in this game, but a, a fairly accomplished performance from Celtic. Obviously, Hearts, as we're going to speak a little bit later on in the pod, looking forward to Europe, Europa League playoffs. But um, for Celtic, I feel that there is something almost of a luxury going on at Celtic right now where they, they're already in the, the Champions League group stages. They've gone about their business quietly and confidently. They've their full strength, Furuhashi and Giacomakis, both of the front line uh, scoring goals week in, week out. What do you guys think about Celtic right now? Because we haven't really given them much, uh, much chat in recent weeks. But this is the thing, and this is what I'm trying to say. It's it's quiet confidence, don't you? Don't you agree, Finn? Absolutely. I I think they've been they've kind of not really looked back since about well since the break last season. I think they've they're just they're very clinical. They know exactly what they're doing. They're so well drilled under Postecoglou now. They know exactly what the system is. All the players know how they're supposed to be playing, and I think also that success breeds success. I think teams are really scared going into matches with Celtic now. Because Postacoglu had such a, a big job at the start of last season, I don't think it's a surprise that there were a few results that kind of didn't go their way in the first couple of months of last season. But once they found that sweet spot, once they felt like they got that starting 11 and they were able to get the reinforcements in in January as well, there's players like Maida. I've watched in a few games and I see a lot of industry like he works really hard he presses really hard and at times I haven't seen an awful lot of quality mm -hmm. but you can't argue with his numbers mm -hmm. like they're incredible he's assisting every other week and I think you know when a squad's playing well in that kind of function obviously you've got the quality of players like um, Furuhashi up front and Giacomaka seems to find his scoring boots eventually as well Jota contributing goals from midfield. I think even the defenders have got quite a few goals this season. Yeah, they look like a pretty formidable force. I mean, it's one of those things of doing your business kind of in the background of the headlines going to Rangers and Dundee United, uh, Motherwell and, and even Hearts. But Laura, you know, you saying is coming in. Do you think they, they really could run away with it early doors this season? Because predominantly when you look back at um, Postacoglu's uh, previous clubs, he tends to do even better in his second seasons. Yeah, the, the sort of quiet confidence um, and professionalism that we're talking about, it, it, it actually kind of reminds me of um, Rangers in previous years where, the well, kind of when Celtic were kind of hitting the rocks, like under the end of Neil Lennon's time, again, the second time around, um, before Postacoglu came in, that sort of quiet, just getting about your business, not making a fuss. Um, yeah, it, it feels like the tables have turned, especially after the weekend with everything that happened. It kind of feels like the disarray is now on the other side of Glasgow again. Um, there is that kind of fear that Celtic just get far too strong 
um, and, and they do run away with it, which I don't think, I mean, like, I don't think anyone in a neutral perspective wants to see that, unless you're a Celtic fan, you don't want to see Celtic run away with the league, or anyone for that matter running away with the league, especially early on. Um, what I would think though is when the Champions League does start up, Celtic have had quite an easy ride up until now. They've not had the League Cup to play. They've not had any European qualifiers to play. All their focus has been purely on the start of the league season. So you can kind of understand why they've started so strongly in that sense. Mm-hmm. When the Champions League does start up, they're going to their, their focus will shift. Um, they're going to be playing Tuesday, Wednesdays, then Saturdays, quite a lot. <laughs> and there will be midweek league cards in there as well somewhere um, so it might start to see it might start to see a kind of more even keel and things might kind of start to restore themselves um, as, as the season goes on and hopefully kind of when the winter well the kind of late autumn winter kind of kicks in you might see it getting tighter instead of Celtic running away with it yeah I mean looking at the other leagues there is actually only one other team in the SPFL that can match Celtic's 100% record um, in the new season that's League Two's Dumbarton they won their fourth game on the trot 3-1 uh, on Saturday at Ockleview against uh, Stenhouse Muir so Dumbarton fans who knows could be going up again um, and just a- another one for me Queen of the South going to Peterhead and weirdly what was the first ever league meeting was it? Wow. Yeah, it's weird that, isn't it? Kudos to SPL Stats for, for that one again. But um, 4-1, uh, a comfortable win for my wonderful Queen of the South. Football, bloody hell. St Mirren made it two out of two on Saturday and they did it in style, crushing Dundee United, who just can't stop leaking goals at the moment. A first brace for Curtis Main since December 2020 and an Alex Grieve goal that secured a 3-0 win, their third straight win away at Tannadice, by the way. And I'm delighted to say we're joined now by Buddy's assistant, Dermot O'Carroll. Uh, Dermot, how are things? Not too bad, mate, not too bad. It's always nice after a win, so it's a good day to get me. Are you are you taking all the credit for the tactics and everything like that with the beers all delivered for you? I'll say that now in case the gaffer doesn't listen, so I'll be fine. But no, uh, listen, it was a brilliant, it was a good weekend for us. It was a fantastic performance. The boys stuck to the plan, and and uh, and obviously any win you get away from home in a place like that, you, you're delighted. But it was uh, emphatic in the end. So happy days. So, so obviously, it's obviously been a bit of a rocky start to the season. Going out League Cup. First two league games didn't quite go to plan, but it looks to be on the up now. Is what's changed? To be fair, um, the cup campaign was a bit was a bit of a, a disaster results wise. Definitely, it was one of them where we'll never be a team that wants 70 percent possession. Uh, it just isn't going to be our our DNA. So it's a little bit false for us that way. But but listen, credit to the boy, the teams that beat us and got the results and different things of like that. But our season probably started against Motherwell and. We actually, I think that was our best performance. I think if you had the gaffer on, we actually played really, really well against Motherwell. The penalty aside, which kills us, and obviously we concede the goal, we miss numerous chances. But that performance, Ross County and on Saturday, were very, very good. We've been pretty happy with how we're doing. So if we can keep that up, we'll be we'll be pretty happy. I'm I'm interested as to as like you said, it's it's you know the season's still early doors and and everyone's kind of finding their feet but um what what's a typical week for you and the gaffer uh, and and the players as well for for preparing for a game you know when you look at the game against united you said yourself you're not going to be looking to keep the ball but 
in those transitional areas, you were excellent against United, uh, hitting them on the break. Is is that something that you try and maybe tweak each game, or is that kind of your your game plan for 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 most of the the next couple of months? Um, well, we have we have a very set system now, a very set system of play, and and tactically, it's not going to change massively. But I think no matter who we play, the kind of points of reference will change. So we'll maybe go ten yards further forward against a team that we need to get after and press, or if we're one behind. Um, while if we play maybe an old firm team or away from home at one of the big ones, we might be five, ten yards deeper. But generally, the, the principles of our press and, and how we play and how we look to build the game will be the same. It's just obviously sometimes you'll find yourself with maybe 45, 50% possession, but then sometimes in the tougher games and at the bigger grounds away from home, it might it might drop down a little bit. So um, from early in the week, we had pinpointed certain things that we, we felt we could hurt them in terms of with the likes of Jonah Younger's pace and mm. our legs in midfield with Mark O'Hara, Bacchus, even Kilty as well. Uh, we knew that we'd be a threat on transition. So luckily it worked out that way. What what you're saying there, all your preparations, does it does it give you that added bonus bringing in the likes of Alex Gogic who knows the club, knows you guys very well? Just it changes, you know, the way that you can plan week by week, having someone who's a little bit different. Yeah, listen, bringing in Gaga is one that we we had targeted even when we'd been in the club for a short period of time. We actually liked him when he was at Hibs. We tried to get him when he was at Hibs. I know the gaffer tried to get him at Motherwell previously as well. So he's one that we've liked for years. Um, so to be able to work with him for a short period once we came in, I think he was one of the real positives for ourselves because obviously it was a tough enough period. So. He was right at the top of our list. Obviously, a player of that calibre and a player of that quality is sought after. So we understood and we respected the fact that he he would have options and he wanted to weigh it all up for his family and everything else. But he's always been open. He's always been honest. He's been in regular communication with the gaffer and some of the staff. So um, we knew it was one that could happen. Um, and we mm. hope that, obviously, and, and we feel it's... We have a pretty strong squad. We're happy with it. Numbers-wise, we're not really we're not really deep in terms of numbers but we don't have a mass we have quality which is which is good so he just adds to that the deadline day is just uh, about a week away are you guys happy with your summer business so far or can we expect more things to come um i think i think we're pretty happy where we're at to be honest i suppose you never know in terms of if something comes in for someone the players we have maybe someone looks to take one of them away or or for any reason someone looks to to explore another opportunity and and we're we're open to anything happening basically. But at the minute, if you offered me this squad at the when the deadline closed, I think myself and the gaffer would happily take it because um, there has been a big turnaround. Obviously, we we needed that. We knew there was a lot of lone players in the building. Um, Gaga was one of them, obviously. But the likes of Connor Ronan and Jordan Jones and a few more bodies, we knew to change the profile of the team to a bit more what we wanted. We had to bring in seven or eight, and and it's worked out that way. But um, but we're delighted. We've obviously the gaffers a history of working with some of the players at Motherwell. We also had Jonah Younger down at at, um, at Morecambe, so there's a little bit of continuity in the the bodies we brought in as well. What what does that do for the the morale around the place? Because yeah, there, there there's quite a strong ex Motherwell contingent at St Mirren now. I mean, you're talking to one of them at the moment, Laura Brannan, who I I hear actually was the your first ever interview. Is that for was that for sure? Started at the top, mate. That was what it was all about. <laughs> It's all downhill from there, like do you know what I mean. But, it was a wee, a wee birdie told me that. But yeah, like the, like I said, the having people, a lot of people who have worked together closely before, 
is that that add something extra that you think will come to St Mirren uh, in a positive sense? Yeah, I think so. And, and listen, a lot was made of that, a lot of jokes about the fact that we were just signing Motherwell players. But um, we actually, obviously, when you look at it, we'd inherited Tatey, Maino and Dunny. Um, all have been at Motherwell and were fantastic for the gaffer once upon a time. But um, we only actually brought in Mark O'Hara, who was at Motherwell. So um, yeah. Trevor technically Dundee United and then Morecambe. Um, so yeah, so it's it's one of them. But listen, it's a good thing when people have played together, or in particular when they've played for the same manager before. Then tactically, and and they know how we work week to week. They know kind of the messages they're going to get. They know how it's delivered. Um, and obviously, there's a couple of close friendships in there as well, which which helps the unity of the squad. Speaking of which, obviously Keith Lasley joined in the summer. A big role and a big change for him. Have you? had much dealings with him since he took on that chief operating officer role or like how has he adapted to such a big change yeah listen uh, as you well know Laura I worked very closely with Laz when he was uh, assistant for the gaffer and and I have a massive amount of respect for Laz both on and off the pitch he's he's a good guy first and foremost a very good coach and and uh, a very savvy operator so for him to go this route after the Masters course that he did is is a brave call I think if he was still in the building at Motherwell then I'm sure he would have been right at the top of the list for um, for Alan Burroughs as well. So um, he's been very hands-on. He's got a big job ahead of himself, but he's. Um, I, th- I think he's enjoying it. It'd be good to get on sometime, I'm sure. <laughs> but, it's early doors, damn it, but uh, you're already sixth on the table. Is that the goal? Is that is Europe the, the, the dream for this season or are you a little bit more you know, down to earth or do you try and keep everyone's heads level or are you the, the positive one in the camp? I think I'd definitely be the positive one in the camp, that's for sure. But um, but no, I think, listen, for everybody, everyone dreams of, of lofty heights and stuff like that. It is, a, it is obviously a long-term ambition for the club to try and do it uh, and then try and replicate other clubs in the SPL and, and do it on a semi-regular basis. But obviously, budget-wise and and everything else behind the scenes, we, we can compete that way, so we have to try and close the gap and, and be competitive with the squad we have. So... If the gaffer was here, he'd say the first aim is always avoid relegation. Uh, as Laura has heard that line, I'm sure many times. But but it is true for a club of our size. If you're in the division every year, going back to back, then that is a success of types. But uh, we've come here from work and we came up from from League One, and and we're ambitious ourselves. So of course we're going to try and push on and and have success, whether that be in in the cups or in the league. dogs bark and the caravan passes the caravan keeps moving the caravan keeps going sticking with the buddies for now they've confirmed they'll no longer be reshuffling their own fans when Celtic and Rangers come to town and instead will continue to take residence in all three stands for every home game this season typically some of the smaller clubs in the top division give an extended away allocation to the likes of Celtic and Rangers in in an attempt to to make more money. You can't really blame them of that, uh, but that's not going to happen in Paisley anymore. Um, Laura, I'll I'll take this to you straight away because, I mean, it's easy enough to ask right away, St Mirren, are they right to turn down the cash for for this this kind of initiative? I think the angle of this is um, being misconstrued in the press. Um, Let's just be clear on something here. This this isn't a... Bizarre stance, as some headlines are saying. It's not a farce. This isn't a lockout. I know Celtic and Rangers fans like to make everything about themselves, but this is about St Mirren. It's about St Mirren 
listening to their fans and understanding what is right for their club. They've taken this decision to not move families out of their seats and it's part of a, a long-term plan to really grow their fan base. Um, we've we we talked about um like we talked about Keith Lasley taking over the club uh, when we were talking to Dermot there. Like he's seen all this before. Um this isn't a new thing that's happened in Scottish football. Motherwell did something similar only a few years ago. They um they took a financial hit, but they said they weren't going to be given a second standaway to Celtic and Rangers fans, and that came from the fans speaking up and saying, We don't want you to do this anymore. And as a fan-owned club, they listened to their supporters and they benefited in the long run for it. And St Mirren, as a fan-owned club, are now doing a similar thing. And and yes, they they will take a financial hit, but they've 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 got plans in place to kind of to cover that cost. It might not be a quick turnaround this season, but somewhere down the line they will reconcile this money and hopefully in the bigger picture is they'll actually gain more support out of it and, and more of a fan base which is going to be far more financially valuable in the long run and there's there's also the aspect as well of um you know the, the this 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 came from the fans like you said but there's also the talk of uh, making one-off contributions or donations to there's a help a buddy scheme so that they can um put money towards uh fans who are less fortunate that they can actually get to games and Finn I guess this is almost something like you know taking control back from just thinking you know fill our stands with opposition fans um and, and focusing on 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 what we what we want to do which is our community Absolutely. I think it's really good. It's quite brave because I think a lot of clubs will probably have a, a financial hit in, in the initial stages. But what's really wonderful to see is that it looks like a long-term plan and they're trying to put in protocols and initiatives and ideas that will kind of offset the, the initial financial detriment that they'll probably suffer from not having as many Rangers or Celtic fans in. But it's wonderful because it's 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 looking at a, a longer-term picture where they want to grow their, their fan bases, but grow it as a community. And I think there's something really wonderful in clubs actually listening to their fans. It mm. sounds like such a simple thing, but I just don't think enough clubs do it or they don't do it and then put it into action i think some clubs can be really good at being like oh what do you want what do you want and then not actually do anything about it and they'll go their own way anyway and it's wonderful when clubs aren't driven by their bank balance necessarily but they're driven by the most important thing which is the fans there and um, but it's just yeah it's really good to see st Mirren trying to start up these initiatives so that it is something that's tackled in the longer term which allows that money to come back into the club hopefully when they when they're able to grow those fan bases yeah and it's like it's 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 building a momentum and, and growing your own fan base mm. it's that building of a community for your own benefit and in terms of momentum and things like that you know we've seen already this season there's the st johnston fan group uh fair city unity they they called for a boycott to to Ibrox, um for travelling fans. Mm. They were asked to fork out, you know, away fans were asked to fork out thirty one pounds for away tickets. Um, uh, that was for adults, and then twenty four pounds for for kids. Um, yeah. and they they're trying to back a campaign where it's 
20s plenty which reminds me of a really weird limmy sketch where it's just like that only <laughs> yeah. works that only works if you're like liver puddly and 20s plenty anyway that's besides the point um you know we are in a cost of living crisis and i don't want no we're a football podcast but when a lot of these clubs are so ingrained in their local communities it's nice to see this idea of taking back control i've seen like newspaper articles are are kind of saying oh they're they're telling their fans they have to pay 30 pounds to to subsidize the the cost and, and fill this financial gap that's not true they're asking fans if they want to make a donation to to help out mm. as a fan-owned club that's completely normal um they literally own the club so it's asking them do you want to give us a wee a wee boost 30 pounds is a suggestion it doesn't have to but what i find interesting is some of this money will go into the help a buddy scheme and this what we're talking about like um Tickets being a realistic price. This is a, another great scheme. Um, I don't know a lot about the help to buddy scheme as an individual thing, but I get the impression it's very similar to the well-in scheme that Motherwell did. Um, they started it last season and they're, they're still continued this year. And what that is, is it stemmed from... Um, it stemmed from the year when Motherwell gave out basically free season tickets um, after the COVID year. And because fans weren't paying that year for their season ticket, the club asked, if you've got any spare money, would you like to donate to putting money towards a season ticket for fans who can't afford to get to games? And all the donations, you put all the money together, and I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, but there were hundreds of supporters who benefited from that um, and got season tickets. Like, from a very, considering like Motherwell's a, a poverty-stricken area, um, it gave the opportunity for fans to go to games that wouldn't normally have got the opportunity. Again, this is something Keith Lasley was involved in at Motherwell and something similar has now come in at St Mirren. If it's, as far as I'm aware, it's along the same lines. Um, there will not be the same numbers um, as high as there were that season because Motherwell fans weren't paying for their own season tickets. So they're not saying to St Mirren fans, we want lots and lots of money from you, but they're saying like, if you can donate anything at all, it contributes to helping fans get into the game that wouldn't normally get to go to the, the games normally because of their financial situation. And something as, something as simple as that, that gifts people a ticket that wouldn't normally get to go, what could win you a supporter for life. Totally agree, Laura. I think something about Keith, Keith Lasley, he's, he's, he's a very clever guy. And if he's taking something that's worked at Motherwell, and going into St Mirren, that's good. And I would probably say to anyone listening to the podcast who's passionate about their own club that wants to do something similar, then speak to your club um, and bring it up because I think it, it will be a very important thing for, for any team out with the, you know, the Celtic and Rangers money. Uh, why not? Why not help someone who might be less fortunate uh, to get into a game of football and something that might make a memory for life? Great, it's not a good laugh, on it? So. Aaron Fenn Hearts go into Thursday's massive Europa League qualifier, trailing a goal behind after it ended 2-1 to FC Zurich. But the Jambos will be hoping home advantage will be the difference, none more so than Scott McIntosh from the Amoruso Let's It Run YouTube channel. Scott, obviously, no matter the result, Hearts will still have European football to look forward to it may be the Europa Conference League but um, you'll be at the game this is one of the biggest games Tynecastle's seen in a long time 
Um, how do you think the atmosphere is going to be? What are your thoughts ahead of the game? How excited are you, mate? Yeah, really excited. I, I think it'll it'll probably bring back those memories of going to sort of big European ties in the early 90s. There'll be that sort of distinct smell for the brewery. Uh, <laughs> hopefully be the pit, you know, the... Hopefully the floodlights will be on at some stage during the game as well. So it should bring back some of those sort of fonder memories. And you're right, it is probably one of the biggest games that we've we've sort of played away from the sort of domestic side of things for for well over a decade now. How are you feeling into this game on Thursday, Scott? Did you feel that the first leg was a kind of fair result? No, I, I thought two one flattered us. Uh, we, we had a we had an okay first 20 minutes and then we had a period for about 20, 25 minutes in the second half where we sort of settled down and we were able to sort of play a bit with the ball but never really penetrating them in the final third. So I think 2-1 was quite a, a decent result to get at the end of the day and it, it probably would have been a, a result that most fans would have taken prior to the match as well. In terms of how confident I, I feel about Thursday, I think it's going to depend on how we set up. I felt that playing with the three at the back on uh, last week definitely didn't help us. I felt that there were huge gaps either side, which teams can exploit us, especially if they plan on hitting us on the break. So I'd quite like to see us go back to a flat back four. So if I see that, I'll be a bit more confident, so to speak. Scott, do you think if you do qualify for the Europa League, um, you know, parking the conference and the, and the, the enjoyment that that will bring if you do go into that, do you think a lot of players, and, and Robbie Nielsen particularly, um, will kind of etch his name into you know Hearts history books. I know he's done a lot for the club, but you know there's, he's not got loads of love from every Jambos fan. Um, do you think this will go a long way for 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 his his kind of memory at the club? For the players, yet yeah. I think especially if you're a player who gets a winning goal or you know has a, a huge contribution in the game, then I think it definitely you know helps, like you say, etch that name and his sort of folklore. I think for Robbie, he's, he's going to need to win a cup to win over those doubters. You know, it, it's just it, those voices of dissent are never going to go away. Some people now are aware of their timeline and they just want to be proven right. And I think even getting a result on Thursday wouldn't really sort of change people's minds if they're that intent on on seeing them go. I think it would definitely need to be a sort of domestic cup win to maybe eventually turn those people around. Yeah, because even, even if you do get to the Europa League, like, yeah, okay, the financials are great, but you're going to be coming up against harder teams to beat as well. And that, that difficulty is just there for everyone to see. Whereas the conference, you know, I don't know, it might be a bit more enjoyable. The, the, the levels differ and it's hard because you could go Europa and just get pumped every week and it's hard. The pressure ends up going, well, why, why are we here? Whereas sometimes, you know, you can just enjoy the fact, well, we're just qualifying is good. But just, just give me a reason why Nielsen isn't so loved amongst Jambos fans. God, that's a that's a difficult one. I was actually just going to say, just before I answer that, I think your, your point about where we end up, it's quite a valid one to say that the conference might be the better option. There's not a huge gulf in financial gain and being in one over the other. So there's actually a few hundred thousand day of difference and there's more of a chance of picking up points in the conference. So you could make that money up. In terms of revenue, I'd imagine we'd still get sellouts because people have missed European football for a few years. So I definitely think there's a there's an argument to be said that conference football would maybe benefit us in the long term. In terms of the Nielsen question, I really don't know. I, I think nowadays people 
sometimes put their social media profiles ahead of their love for the club and they'd rather be proven right on certain aspects. And I think there's a, albeit minority Hearts fans that are maybe still not forgotten about 2016, even although Hibs had to beat another four teams after they knocked us out, which people seem to forget these days. Uh, there's also an element of people that weren't happy with how, you know, how we got out the championship a couple of seasons ago as well. And I think people still cling on to the, the fact that, you know, our football at times under them the first time round was a little bit, you know, how do I put it? It was, it, it was just a little bit direct. It maybe wasn't what people wanted to see. Shame. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, some people would maybe say that as well. But, I mean, for me, I, I don't think... I don't think it was that bad. I think the championship season, there was definitely concerns in terms of we didn't seem to know how we wanted to set up. Uh, and I think there was a little bit of a concern moving into last season, but he definitely deserves his time now. You know, he's, he's done a great job last season. Recruitment's been good again this summer, although, you know, it'd be great to get another couple of bodies in to beef up the squad. But I've definitely not got any problems with him. I think it's one of those questions you'd be better try to find someone who's still got an issue with him. Yeah, they'd maybe be able to give you a better answer for that. Just one question I've got, uh, Scott, is having watched the unfortunate unfolding of what's happened to Dundee United since their difficult performance away in the Netherlands, how do you kind of look forward to playing regular European football this season? And trying to keep up, a, 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 you know, a, a, another good league campaign as well. Um, do, do you think Hearts have got the strength and depth in the squad? Um, is there anything that you would rather, like, would you prefer a good run in Europe and maybe sacrifice one or two league positions? Or is it still all about the league? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. For me, the, the biggest positive that I think we can take is not so much what we've got control over, but the fact that, Aberdeen and Hibs and to a lesser extent Dundee United have had such a high turnover that this summer that I think even at best they're still going to be fairly inconsistent. Yeah. So I think even if we were to hit similar heights to last year, our points total wasn't huge. I think in terms of third place finishings, we were maybe the second or third worst over the last decade. Uh-huh. I think if we were to keep that sort of consistency that we had last season, I still think we'd quite easily get third because I don't see, albeit there's been improvements in Aberdeen and Hibs, I don't see them hitting that consistency because they'll need to find out their, their best of living, first of all, which may take a month or two. Okay, last question for you, Scott, and we'll let you go to your Betty boys. Uh, what European country do you want to go to? I've always liked Prague, but then that's probably because I've had a few stag nights there. So <laughs> Czech Republic's always quite good to stir more memories. Uh, to be honest, I, if we get Europa League, I'd love us to get Man United. I just think that would just be a great guy you have. Uh, and Manchester's always good for a night out as well. So yeah, that's what I'm going for. You think I'm going to answer a stupid question like that? Well, we've heard from Scott McIntosh. He's obviously very excited and uh, you know quietly confident. But just quickly, uh, what are your guys' thoughts? Finn, I'll go to you first. I've actually got a bit of a sneaking suspicion Hearts could do it. I think they'll need to be... Have you? Yeah, I, I think they've, they'll have need to be at the top of their game. And I think they'll need you know things to, to go for them on the night. But I just think Tynecastle, that atmosphere... I'd, I'd said last week if they can... St- just stay in the tie as always such a cliche but the first goal is crucial so I think if Hearts can get a goal Tynecastle's on their side Zurich's form's been patchy 
so far at the start of the season, I, I think Hearts have got a chance. Well, um, Laura, are you going to put Scott and his mates up in London uh, if, if they draw <laughs> West Ham on, on Friday, um, if they qualify? Are you implying that I'll be supporting Hearts in those games? <laughs> Like I, I think, um, as we touched on, I think there's there's pros for both competitions for Hearts. Um, I don't really feel like they can lose out of this. Getting into the Europa League, absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wonderful for Scottish football, wonderful for, in terms of finances as well, um, and just general prestige overall. But dropping into the Conference League... I don't think it's anything to cry over. They'll they'll play much more realistic ties, have much more chance of actually pulling off good results. And either way, the fans are going to absolutely love it. And Tynecastle is going to be fantastic. Absolutely, um, obviously with the with the sadness of losing Motherwell and Dundee United in those uh, in those qualifiers, uh, it's still great to see. Uh, three Scottish teams are definitely going to be in uh, in European football until Christmas because obviously there's another big game uh, going on uh, in Holland. Rangers travel to PSV where what an enthralling game the first leg was at Ibrox. Uh, 2-2 it ended and uh, Finn, I, I suppose I'll come to you with what you think may, may kind of happen in this game because one thing I will say is uh, Rangers only have one away European win in their last 11 games, which was Dortmund. They've lost the last four mm. away uh, and they've failed to score in their last three, whereas PSV progressed in eight of their last 10 European ties uh, that started with a draw away from home. Yeah, I I, I think the, it's definitely in PSV's favour. Uh, it's also a, it's a bit of a cauldron to go to in Eindhoven. It's a, an amazing stadium with an amazing support. I think Rangers will have to go some. I don't think it requires a miracle to get through, but I think they have to achieve performance levels that I don't think we've seen from them at all so far this season. If I'm being honest, I'm not particularly confident that they'll Mm. go through. I think if they'd been heading over there with a 2-1 lead, they'd maybe be in with more of a shout. But just in terms of statistics, Rangers haven't won an away game in the Champions League, including qualifiers since October 2007. And that was a 3-0 away win at Lyon. And in that time, that's that's 12 matches, that's five draws and seven defeats. I, I think it's stacked against them. Yeah, but these things, I, I mean, I started I started linking into this with, with some stats myself, but these all have to, have to you know, end. Um, and you said yourself, you're going to have to see performance levels that maybe Rangers fans haven't seen yet. I was working the game and I think that's the best game that Rangers have actually played this season mm. um, up against top opposition and they they matched them um if not were the better team on the night okay home advantage counts um but you know one goal and i i don't know how you know fervent their fans are but uh, if you can turn the crowd that's the difference maker um you know put the put put the fans on you know on edge but laura your thoughts yeah i mean you're saying our rangers haven't won a away game in the champions league since 2007 but I mean how many times have Rangers played in the Champions League since 2007 these things are all subjective to like the actual context of things of course Um, Rangers haven't played a lot of Champions League games since then Um, I mean you can say they've not scored a goal in 20,000 days in the Champions League because that's how long it's been since they last kicked a ball in the Champions League so like stats are like this you know I don't want to go down the Ebscovdal route of um, (laughs) quoting stats but you know (laughs) I kind of worry for Rangers because it's away from home. Um, we all know how good Ibrox is on a 
on our European night um, and without the crowd there to pull them over the line. It might be a task just too far for them and I, I fear that them dropping into the Europa League might feel like an anticlimax after everything that happened last season because it would be a case of, well, how do we better last season? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The only option is to go on and win it, which, let's face it, it's not going to happen twice um, in two consecutive seasons to get into a final of the, the competition. So I, I feel like really pushing on and getting into the Champions League group stages this year is the only real way Rangers can improve and build on their success last year. Um, so I, I kind of feel there's disappointment ahead for Rangers. Um, but I, as a Scottish football fan, obviously don't want that to happen. <laughs> Always as positive as ever there, Laura. <laughs> a typical dour Scott in London. My goodness. I want them all to win. I want them all to qualify. And I'm just I'm just gutted because I'm going to miss both games because I'm away on West Ham Travels in Denmark. Well, there you so, go. Um, I'll be on live score getting my updates. Good. Excellent. Well, enjoy that, Laura. Finn, enjoy being in the future as always. Thanks so much for your, your input. Um, thanks to submitting assistant Dermot O'Carroll uh, and to Scott McIntosh. I hope he enjoys the game on Thursday. Um, yeah, I guess we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye.